0: I'm now joined by Jay Jacobs, U.S. Head of Thematic and Active Equity ETFs at BlackRock. Of course, BlackRock is the largest ETF issuer in the world, and here in the U.S., they currently offer over 400 ETFs, nearly $2.6 trillion in assets. That includes the recently launched iShares Bitcoin Trust, ticker IBIT, I-B-I-T, along with a uh, growing suite of both thematic and active equity ETFs. And Jay is now on the line with me from New York. Jay, always uh, great to connect. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Nate. Great to be back here. All right. I have to start by asking you, how did it feel to go viral on uh, Twitter or X a couple of weeks ago with that uh, ad on the iShares Bitcoin Trust? I I got the biggest kick out of this. You were literally... Everywhere. Did that catch you off guard? Uh,
1: It was a little surreal. I was actually walking with my wife and son in Central Park and, uh, you know, did my usual glance at my phone. And my heart probably skipped a beat when I saw hundreds of notifications on Twitter. But, um, you know, uh, all all good. I think it really represents the pent-up demand for the Bitcoin ETF. You know, this is something that people have been waiting for for years Uh, I know, Nate, you've been waiting for it for years, and so the reality of these products coming out and and iBit making some market just made an incredible splash, and and investors were really passionate about following the launch.
0: Yeah, for uh, listeners who missed this ad, I I think it was on a Sunday. I uh, popped open Twitter, and and I'm telling you, Jay was everywhere. I, I think somebody in the crypto space with a large following must have gotten a hold of this thing. and tweeted it out and then it just caught fire and and jay if you don't mind let me play a uh, a quick snippet from this
1: digital asset adoption has significantly accelerated over the past decade with profound implications for the future of finance bitcoin is the original cryptocurrency to gain global adoption and has continued to maintain its dominance despite thousands of others coming into existence You might have noticed Bitcoin make its way into our everyday lives, from Bitcoin ATMs to various merchants accepting Bitcoin as payment, further driving interest in what the future holds for the cryptocurrency. Investors have taken notice as institutions and individual investors alike have been adopting Bitcoin into their investment portfolios, with some viewing it as a potential store of value and others as a potential game changer in how money moves around the world. But for many investors, holding Bitcoin directly can be complex. That's why we launched iBit, the iShares Bitcoin Trust, an ETF that provides investors convenient exposure to Bitcoin. Here are three things to know about iBit. Access iBit enables investors to access Bitcoin within a traditional brokerage account, just like stocks, bonds, and other ETFs. Convenience. IBIT can help remove operational burdens associated with trading and holding Bitcoin directly, as well as potentially high trading costs and tax reporting complexities. Quality. IBIT is built by BlackRock, a leading ETF firm with expertise across ETFs and a history of innovation. It is a new day for Bitcoin. Access IBIT through your online brokerage or discuss with your financial planner to find out how IBIT can fit into your portfolio. Visit www.ishares.com to view a prospectus, which includes. All business. right,
0: so so everybody gets the idea here. Um, I think that was like what two minutes long overall. How, how many takes did that uh, did that take you to get that recorded?
1: <laughs> I, I don't remember. It was. I, I think it's pretty straightforward, but we had. I think about 2 million views of the video. So it, it definitely made its way around Twitter, that's for sure.
0: All right. Well, we'll get a few thousand more for you here on uh, on ETF Prime. <laughs> okay, so um, I checked this morning, Jay. IBIT is already at nearly $2.5 billion in assets. That's been done in yeah. less than three weeks. Uh, this ETF also leads the other eight new entrants into this category. So h- how would you gauge the initial response to this launch? It's been tremendous.
1: Uh, you know, the the assets and the volume uh, speak for, for the fund itself. But, you know, the reality is there was a lot of pent-up demand for a Bitcoin ETF. You know, like I said, people have been waiting years for this. And there's a lot of investors out there who already have done their research on Bitcoin and have decided to get exposure, but maybe we're doing so with... Um, you know, not the perfect vehicle for them. Maybe they were doing it through futures. Maybe they were owning Bitcoin directly. Maybe they were using other vehicles. But they have been waiting for the ETF because of the convenience and access that it provides. And so once iBit came live, uh, you know, there were a lot of people ready to, to move into the fund quickly. But I would say the longer opportunity is really for people who are just starting that educational journey around Bitcoin We know it's going to take a while to understand this Mason asset class, to understand how it could interact with other pieces of a portfolio. And that's, you know, we're really just kind of at at stage one for many investors there.
0: Uh, As it pertains to the flows, I know a lot is being made about uh, the outflows from the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust and how maybe the inflows into the new spot Bitcoin ETFs are, I, I, I don't know, essentially just recycled money. From that, that there's not real new organic demand here. I, I, I don't agree with that, but I, I'm curious how you might respond to that, and maybe you can offer some additional insight. You, you, you alluded to it, but just some additional insight into what BlackRock is actually hearing from clients uh, on this ETF.
1: No, it's 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 a tremendous range of interest from I would say the end investor space, who now has kind of this really great access tool that previously they didn't have. A, you know, a great way to get direct exposure to Bitcoin. Um, as well as more sophisticated investors who've just been waiting for the right structure. So, you know, the range of people that we are hearing from around this product is as wide as you can imagine. And again, you know, people are at different stages of that journey. So some people are moving quickly. Other people, you know, this could be a month's or year's long journey if if they ever allocate to Bitcoin. But now that it's in the ETF world, they are at least kind of starting the educational journey around uh, the asset.
0: All right. Before we move on here, because I do want to get to your uh, thematic outlook Just high level. How is BlackRock suggesting investors think about Bitcoin in a portfolio? And and let me caveat that with with the usual uh, disclaimer that obviously every investor is different. Everybody has different goals. So we're not here offering investment advice. But if you were just to generalize, what is the potential role of Bitcoin in a portfolio?
1: Well, I think the most important thing is is just that, that this is not a one size fits all uh, asset. There are people who will want exposure to it, and it makes sense. There are people who will not want exposure to it, and it wouldn't make sense in their portfolio. You know, just as everyone should do due diligence on stocks and bonds, they have to do the same level of due diligence on Bitcoin and understand kind of what it means to add it to a portfolio. Um, You know, I I would say there's kind of common use cases that we hear from clients around, you know, this can be used as a hedge against monetary or geopolitical risk, more of that digital store of value use case. There's others who see it as really a play on greater adoption of Bitcoin itself and and greater use cases for blockchain technology. Um, But really, it it, it needs to be tailored to every individual investor to decide if and how they allocate to this asset.
0: Yeah, well, I'm telling you from my uh, perspective, I think this will continue to be really interesting to watch. Uh, Once again, I think a highly successful uh, initial debut. And uh, again, it'll just be interesting to see how this evolves. Um, All right, let's now pivot and and touch on your 2024 thematic outlook. I'll I'll tell you, I really enjoyed reading this. And there there were four key takeaways that you presented. If you don't mind, let me quickly go through these and then we can get into some detail here. So, number one, you said that given the macroeconomic backdrop with higher rates and uh, more volatility, you said investors need to demand greater compensation for taking on equity risk. And a way that they can do that is by getting more precise about investment exposure. So really targeting specific themes. So that's number one. Number two, you noted the transformation of artificial intelligence from concept to commercialization, which uh, I actually talked about that last week, how it feels like perhaps we're past that initial buzz we saw earlier in 2023 with Uh, chat Uh gbt right and those sorts of things and now the real work is being done it's about real adoption and you talk about how the potential investment opportunity here especially if you move beyond the largest tech companies involved in the space uh you know could be compelling so that was the second takeaway and then quickly here the other two takeaways you mentioned uh are a new era for medical innovation and the rewiring of globalization so so basically how Uh, geopolitical dynamics are shifting supply chains and and we're seeing a move towards reshoring and and nearshoring. Um, Let's start with that first takeaway on investors needing to demand greater compensation for taking on equity risk. Because from my perspective, that obviously gets into how investors might best use thematic ETFs in a portfolio. And so I'd love to have you offer a quick framework here because you seem to be suggesting investors need to get more nimble with their thematic Mm -hmm. exposure. So so how, how do they do that?
1: Well, you know, from a high level, there's really two issues investors are facing when they think about equities, which is, first, people are getting paid 5% to hold cash. So that's a pretty high bar to clear. You want to exceed that if you're going to take equity market risk. And then the second piece is markets are volatile right now, and there's a lot of macroeconomic uncertainty. So volatility is higher And that means that with higher cash rates and higher volatility, you really need to be confident in your investing to see that you're going to get the return that you're looking for over the long run. If we go back over the last 10 years, you know, it was really a Goldilocks period where just owning broad market benchmarks drove a lot of returns for investors, and we don't think that's going to continue. It's really about getting more precise exposure through thematic investing, through active investing, or looking at things like sectors and subsectors. So I think the way to think about this for investors is this means focusing on the satellites in your portfolio, not just broad market allocations, but getting targeted in where there's long-term growth opportunities.
0: Yeah, I like the comment you made where you you said just because you're exposed to the Magnificent Seven, which, of course, if you look at the the composition of those companies and what they're involved in, you do have – quite a bit of ai exposure um, but that doesn't mean you're you're well exposed to thematic growth and i, I thought that was a good point and then the other uh, item that, that caught my attention you said you need to look for long-term structural trends with near-term mm-hmm. catalysts which i think gets into being a bit more nimble uh, around thematics um if, if we look at those other three takeaways you highlighted um you know, those are potential areas of opportunity you see in 2024. Again, the the adoption of artificial intelligence, the new era of medical innovation, and then this uh, supply chain reorientation. Do, do you want to comment on any or, or all of those?
1: Well, I, I think one theme that kind of touches on all of them is really rewired supply chains. So this is something that's been building for over a decade. You've seen, uh, you know, going back to the global financial crisis, uh, you know, greater questioning of globalization. You saw more tariffs in the last few years. You've seen COVID all really building towards uh, a new st- a wave approaching supply chains that is focused on resilience and control. And so you've seen uh, policies in the United States like the Infrastructure Investments and Jobs Act, the Inflation Reduction Act, the Chips and Science Act basically bringing tens or hundreds of billions of dollars into building things in the United States to set us up for the next stage of growth. And why is this important? Well, first, you have really important technologies that are emerging, like artificial intelligence, where the United States wants to be the world leader. The second is you have aging populations, where we are going to create probably about 4 to 5 million jobs over the next decade versus the 20 million we created the last decade, So that presents a real challenge from a who's going to build all these things. And then you have a third piece of it, which is who do we partner with on the international stage to help supply these industries? Where we've seen countries like Mexico that can do, uh, you know, really uh, close nearshoring. Countries like India that have very youthful populations and expertise in technology are really becoming the new partners of the future. So uh, AI and demographics and geopolitics are all kind of wrapped together in this thematic outlook, and you're seeing it play out in real time in in how we're thinking about supply chains going forward.
0: Okay, so if investors are interested in playing this uh, rewiring of globalization, are there a a handful of iShares ETFs you might point to? And again, for listeners, not investment advice, do your own homework. I'm just curious, Jay, as to some of the potential ways to play this near-shoring or, or friend-shoring trend. And I, I guess along with that, you mentioned countries such as Mexico and, and India. Mm-hmm. And I don't think most investors would consider, say, a country play as a thematic play. But, but could it be in, in this type of situation?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you have to look at country funds this way to play some of these demographic and uh, rewiring supply chain themes. Um, you know, we're seeing it in the youthfulness of countries like Mexico and India. We're seeing it in these political relationships. So, you know, single countries maybe in the past were not viewed thematically, but I think in this, uh, world we, we, we have to. So, you know, a couple of tickers, you know, IRBO is our robotics and AI fund. EWW is our Mexico fund. INBA is our India fund. And we're seeing, you know, significant interest in those ETFs, you know, given the themes that are playing out this year.
0: Jay, just a few minutes left here before I let you go. I'm actually going to switch gears on you yet again here. Uh, we're, we're covering a diverse range of topics this week. Um, I actually had your colleague, Rachel Aguirre on the podcast a few months ago after the launch of the, um, iShares buffer ETFs. And, you know, with thematics, we're, we're talking about more granular ways to play offense. But if you think about those buffer ETFs, those could be considered more granular ways to play defense. And I'm just curious if you want to comment on those buffer ETFs and just the type of response BlackRock has uh, seen to those products thus far.
1: We've seen a great response, and a lot of it is tied to some of the same reasons that we were talking about granularity and thematic, which is there's so much money on the sidelines. There's $6 trillion being held in money market and cash funds right now that investors are hesitant and they either need to find really compelling growth opportunities like these powerful themes, or they need to kind of inch back into the markets in a way that they can feel uh, you know, uh, protected in a sense if there's going to be a major market sell-off. And so that's where we've seen interest in these buffer ETFs, which essentially provide a measure of protection against downside movements, in exchange for capping uh, upside returns. And we've seen uh, a good amount of interest of people moving to cash into buffers as a way to kind of regain equity exposure in a measured way.
0: Yeah, and a couple of uh, tickers there for listeners. Um, IVVM, which is the iShares Large Cap Moderate Buffer ETF, and then IVVB, which is the iShares Large Cap Deep Buffer ETF. But, Jay, we're going to have to leave it there. I always enjoy uh, connecting. I'm going to be waiting for you to go viral on another uh, IBIT. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be looking for that. But thank you for joining me.
1: Thanks a lot, Nate. Great to talk.
0: That was Jay Jacobs, U.S. Head of Thematic and Active Equity ETFs at BlackRock.